The Redneck Tech Podcast is brought to you by Diamondback Covers, the absolute best cover you could ever spend your money on. If you need an insurance policy for all the expensive gear on the back of your truck, then you need a Diamondback Cover. Make the bed of your truck a vault with Diamondback. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want it? Yeah. Welcome back, Redneck Tech Podcast. No idea what the podcast number is. Forgot to look that part up before we got going. Um, but who really cares what number it is? So um, I got Ryer in the truck, and I got Clay in the truck. What's up, fellers? Hola. Howdy. So we're driving to Florida for the fourth time, and the entire crew is going on this trip. This is a, a new venture client project for us, and it's going to be – a little different for us. We're not going to reveal a whole lot about it yet, just in case it doesn't work out. <laughs> um, but um, I think it's going to be fun, and we all get to go. Big, big project for us. Um, only a two-day shoot, but it's down close to South Florida, so we had a nine-hour drive. So of course, we brought the podcast uh, gear, just because this is seems like lately this is the only time we have time to actually record a podcast. Is either on a trip or on the way to a trip. So. Um, we, of course, get to talking and running our mouth in the truck, and, and it always comes back to things that we um, either not, not necessarily pet peeves, but things that a lot of questions that we get and comments that we get from a lot of people that um, are asking questions, and sometimes it's because they don't know or it's because they're trying to learn or it's because sometimes it's because they think there's some secret sauce that we're not telling about like some secret program some secret setting some secret shot list i i really don't know um but if you don't listen to any other podcast and this is something that you want to get into listen to this podcast because we are going to talk about the secret sauce and um and the secret sauce is not what you think it is it's it's one of those things to where I don't really know even how to start this one. Like, how do we even roll into what our secret sauce is? Like, I mean, if I had to put my finger on one thing, the secret sauce is just going out and doing it. Um, and when I say that, that seems overly simplified, but it's not. Like, like Ryer, you were just saying, you know, you just basically shoot the things that need to tell you who the things that need to tell you when, things that need to tell you what and where. And I said, okay, but to play devil's advocate, yeah, it makes sense to you. You've been doing it for a long time, but you also not only have to know, you know, you don't have to know what shots to get. You just have to know what story you're trying to tell, but you also have to have an eye for those shots. And I think that might be the part that a lot of folks are missing is you haven't done it enough to see an eye for what you're doing and that goes for shooting that goes for editing that goes for production in general so I kind of wanted to go around and let everybody kind of go into you know what they think you know because there, there is literally and I say this and I cannot stress it enough there is not a magic bullet there is not a magic shot list we do not ever go off of a shot list like shot for shot 
Like we might have a general outline of what we want to get, but we don't have shot of tree, shot of person, shot of deer. Like we don't, that's not how, that's not how this works. Um, we have an idea of the story we want to tell. And then when we get back to editing, we generally have that framework with extra stuff and creative things that we got along the way that will help us tell our story better. Um, there's no secret sauce for any of it other than going out and shooting a ton of video and figuring out what works and what doesn't work. For the guy that's out there, he shoots everything shoulder height, waist up, and shoots everything medium, it's going to be really hard for you to make something creative. You've got to move your camera around. You've got to shoot in all hours of the day. You've got to put your camera on the ground. You've got to get it up high. You've got to shoot wide. You've got to shoot tight. You've got to shoot all of it. And the more and more and more you do it, the more second nature it's going to become. And then you're going to see things. like, And, and Ryer and Clay will be able to talk about this too. Literally, when I go on a shoot, and say we're shooting a turkey hunt like we're about to go do, I, I know generally the things that I want to get. I know the shots that I'm used to getting. And then all I'm doing is once I'm getting those shots, all I'm doing is looking for new shots, looking for things that complement what I'm trying to do. I'm looking for how light is, you know, what light is doing, what where the terrain I'm in, the subject matter, the sponsors, the products, the, the little pieces that bring someone into that scene. And I shoot them every which way I can. Um, and that's really it. And then it's producing dialogue and telling a good story and, and doing your work on the front end. Other than that, there's – what was it? What did you say? You think people over – I think – I think – and to preface this, I 100% see – I see why people do this. But I think that there's a perception that it's a lot harder to do what we do. That's what you said, yeah. And I think that, and I and I understand it because I put myself in in the point of view of where I was at five or six years ago, having never touched any of this stuff. And if I were to see the timelines that I'm making now, the videos that I'm making now, the shots and the photos that I get now, and you were to show that to me five years ago. I would have been like, holy crap. Um, I'm not capable of something like that. Yeah, I couldn't do that. Or I have literally no idea how that came about. Like, I wouldn't have been able to conceptualize that photo or that video or that sequence, much less make it into a reality. Yeah. And and I think because of that, when you start out or you're building this knowledge base... You see things that that guys like us are doing or, I mean, I see things that people do in movies or even higher budget productions or um, guys who have been doing this even longer than than me. And I see things that those guys are doing and go, holy crap, like I would literally never think of that. I have no idea how they did that. And And it feels way harder than maybe it is. And I think that really at the root of this especially I think in in our particular niche you just got to do it right I didn't I I try to think back on how I learned what I needed right because I started 
from literal ground zero with this as far as knowledge of hunting, uh, knowledge of cameras, knowledge of editing, 0%. I literally walked into this and I had no idea. Um, and the thing that I think that has allowed me to be able to produce the, the work that I do now is literally just doing it for five years, six years or whatever it is. And I've been lucky that I've been able to do it full time yeah. for those five years. And so I, I got a little bit of an accelerated learning path because when you do it full time, you can dedicate all of the time that you have. Basically, all your working hours are dedicated to this craft. And, you know, a lot of guys don't get that opportunity. And so I realize I'm pretty lucky and blessed to have been given that. And so, you know, you don't get the 40, 50, whatever hours a week of a typical working week sitting in front of a computer editing or, or shooting or whatever. But I think at the end of the day, what makes the difference is those hours is the time you spend in the field in front of the computer, behind the lens, all that thing, because I I remember going out to shoot, and, I mean, your first instinct is, like, literally just shoot everything. Yeah. And, because you have no idea what it is that you need at all. Yeah. And so, you just start shooting everything, and really, you're just trying to get a, like, figure out how the camera works. Yeah. And then you bring that into editing, and now you have to tell a story with it and make something out of it and so in that process obviously you're learning all of the mechanics of the camera and you're learning all the mechanics of an editing software and then you start to in that process figure out hey i need this i i really wish i had this shot here i really wish that I had done this, or I need something to get me from here to there, or I need this little piece to fill in this gap, or whatever it is. And so then you take that knowledge that you've gained, and you go back out there, and you shoot again, and this time you remember, hey, I wanted a shot like this. So then you get that shot, you shoot more things, you now have a better knowledge of how things are working, and you bring it back into editing, do the same thing, and you realize, oh, man, I wish that I had this shot. And it's just a repeating process over and over and over and over again, basically forever. Like, I literally never stop yeah. thinking about that stuff. Well, I I, I got to put it in terms of, so I was the guy that's in a lot of positions of guys that are reaching out to us now to where I was doing this as a hobby as often as I possibly could for three years, you know, following whoever let me go with them. And... You know, I didn't ever put as much thought into it as, I guess, what you did. I went out and filmed hunts. I didn't do anything extra. I just thought that all you had to do was go film people kill stuff. I didn't really pay attention to story. I didn't really pay attention to creative stuff. I didn't really do any of that. I didn't pay attention to... I just remember watching a television show, and and it made sense to me that the hunt was only, you know, 10% of the show, or the kill was only 10% of the show. But all the other stuff, like, it never made sense to me how they got it. Like, okay, well, they still got to fill, you know, 15 more minutes of a show. How, that was daunting to me to think about how to fill 15 minutes of a show that wasn't a kill, mm-hmm. you know. 
and I didn't know how to do it. I wasn't, I guess I wasn't smart enough to break the shots down. But what put it into perspective for me was when I started working with people that knew what they were doing and I watched good editors and good shooters and I got to work with them, which I understand that there's a lot of you out there that have reached out and said, hey, I'd love to go tag along with you guys on a shoot. And trust me, we would love for that to happen. It's a very rare thing for us to be able to have a shoot where we could have someone that could tag along. So it's not that we don't want you to. It's just vir- virtually none of our shoots lend themselves to doing that. So anyway, um, I wanted to ask Clay since – so, Clay, you've been doing this, you know, with us for almost a year now, and you did it on your own for however many years. How has the perspective changed from doing it on your own to getting to work with, you know, Ryer and Clay – or Ryer and Clay, Ryer and me that have done this for a little while – and kind of how did that change either your perspective or your workflow or, you know, how you approach the shoot? Like, what, what what's kind of your takeaway from that? Um, well, I don't really – I don't approach it any different. I just found different and other ways to do things that I already did, like a different process or, like, a different angle of doing something. Like, I had never thought of doing – Ryer does a thing where if he's one camera and he's filming people – talking he'll have them do it twice and the second time he changes the camera angle so you got something to cut back and forth to never thought about that but i do it now um and just just little things like that but um the only thing i approach differently is the tv stuff just because i mean i had never done it before and you have to approach that differently because you have 22 minutes of content to fill versus like a web show if if it's an awesome web show and it's only five minutes that's fine and if it's an awesome web show and it has to be 12 that's fine um a web show you can kind of cut what you need or add what you need because there's really no length minimum or maximum um so i would say tv is really the only thing that i approach differently from what i already did what's what's different about that approach the just the things with tv that normally i wouldn't care about seeing you kind of have to put in the yeah so, well, I still don't care about seeing them, but you yeah, have to put them in. There's a, lot, a lot of filler stuff, and I've found myself web. You can kind of get away with not having as many transitions and things like that. But when we're doing the TV, like when I was with Kip for those 30 days, it was I was constantly asking myself, okay, how am I going to get here? How am I going to get here? How am I going to get here? And, and if, when you say when I get here, I think we need to kind of break that down because maybe that's a little general. So. When, when Clay's saying, how do we get here, he means like, when you get to camp, what shots can I get to show us getting to camp? And when you go hunting and you're in the tree stand, what shots do I need to get to show getting to the tree stand? Those are transitions. How do we get from camp to the tree, from tree to the truck, from truck to camp, from camp to the dinner, from dinner to back to the tree stand? You know, those are what we're saying. How do we get from here to here? It's the different locations that we end up. And those are those can, those can be something as simple as shooting somebody getting in the truck and the truck driving down the road. Those can, those can be as simple as showing somebody climbing in the deer stand. Those can be something as simple as a, a big, huge drone shot of your area in the you know the early you know the early light or late light or the sunrise sunset. Those things can be so versatile for so many things. So when we say how do we get from here to here, that's what we're talking about. Is here is camp to here is the deer stander here is the place that we're turkey hunting here is the truck you know the here is how do we get from this scene to this scene 
How did we get from this day to this day? How did we get from this location to this location? And all those are, they can be as simple as one shot. They can be as complicated as a series of shots. But you, you have to, in your mind, say, how can I translate to my viewer how to get from the truck to the tree stand? That is, you can make that as simple as you want or as complicated as you want. It's, and that is, that is where the different styles come in. That is where the, and that also comes down to how much time do we have to tell this story. If it's a case of Kip, it's pretty fast. You get what you can get and move on to the next one. If it's Greg, we can plan these things out. We can make them as absolutely over the top as we want. We can create entire scenes with drones and multiple cameras of just getting to the tree. Or it can be as simple as walking behind somebody, getting shots of their feet, and them opening the door to a ground blind. It, it's up to you. And like I said, it, it comes down to how much time you have, what kind of budget you're working with, which I know the majority of you are working with no budget or whatever budget comes out of your wallet. Um, and trust me, that's where I was and still am a lot of the time, you know. So it, that's don't don't feel that like that's a limiting factor because you can do some really cool stuff with very little money. We're working on a project right now that we're not ready to talk about yet that at the end of the day, it's going to cost us probably three or four days of time. And I think I'll come out of pocket maybe $500,000 for, you know, the things that we need to do it. And hopefully it's going to turn into a really cool project. But all it's taken is time and planning. It's not really taking anything else. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it, it, it all comes down to, I think a lot of times guys kind of try and run and do it by the seat of their pants too. They just try and show up and see what they can get. And I've had that work really well for me. I've also had that be a complete waste of time many times. Um, if you sit down and you take the time to plan some things on the front end, of okay who's my subject where are we going it all comes back to who what when where why and whether and then you take those five or six things however many it is and you translate those in translate those into what story am i trying to tell the story can be simple it can be complicated and what we were just talking about a minute ago we've been talking about a lot of movies sometimes the best cinematic greatness is some of the most simple things it's some of the cleanest, just in-camera transitions, in-camera movements, um, and it's a lot of times it's great acting or great, uh, you know, great sets, great locations. It all play. It's all part of the big plan. Well, and I think some things that can make your videos better without you realizing it. It can be something just as simple as holding the camera versus having it on a tripod or not having something center frame or if you have the ability to zoom in another half length of your lens zoom in another half length of your lens yeah well i think that's that goes back to what ryer said is you've got to get out there and do it because if you haven't gotten out there and figured out hey this looks really cool when i'm all the way at the end of my lens and i pull focus on something close to me because that blows out my background that looks really cool. I like how that looks. If you didn't go out there and understand 
how that camera and that lens work and then understand how they work with certain lights and then understand how to see and visualize those shots with that lens and camera setup. The only way you learn those things is to go out there and do it. We can't teach you that on a podcast. Like we can tell you shoot things with the angular lens. We can tell you to shoot things with a low F stop. We can tell you all these things, but until you go out there and actually do it and say, dang, at the end of my lens at, you know, F4 on this lens in the middle of the day, it's really bright. How do I get this, you know, how do I get this exposure fixed? Well, you're either going to need a polarizer. You're going to need to use your internal NDs. You're going to need to, there's several ways you can get that exposure down, but until you understand and, you know, get out there and try and shoot in the middle of the day, and you're like, man, everything looks like crap. Well, generally everything looks like crap in the middle of the day. But you would not know that unless you go out and shoot in it every day. Like right now, this shoot that we're going on, we literally have it planned from like 12 to 2, 12 to 3 in the middle of the day. We're probably going to be taking a break during that time because this shoot requires some really cool cinematic stuff. And you're just not going to get it in the middle of the day. So we're not even going to shoot. We're going to put cameras up, take a break, plan for the you know plan for the afternoon and the evening, and not shoot during those times. Just because there's it's very hard without a light truck and you know eight foot scrims to make things in the middle of the day look worth a crap. So we're literally reserving that time to make the other times of the day better by planning, by you know by executing, by location scouting, by doing all those the little things that people take for granted versus running out there and figuring it out as we go. Now, how much of it, Ryer and Clay, I don't care who answers, how much of it, you know, I know we have a good idea in our head when we go on a shoot of what we want to get. I, th- I would say that's 50% of what I actually shoot is what was in my head. 50% of it is complete inspiration when I'm in the field. How much of it is it for you? Um. I think it really depends on the project. Um, and it kind of comes back to the first thing you need to know when you're shooting a video or editing a video, if somebody hands you footage, is what is the purpose of this? What does it need to accomplish? Uh, where is it going to live? All these things. Yeah, I, because that's the first things I ask when people... Right call me about a project, I ask them those things are the first things I ask. Right, because I think that will then first, that gives you all your basics. If you tell me that, that is, that's probably I would say maybe 50 to 75 depending on um, some parameters. Well, 50 to 75% of, of the shoots are that plus knowing it's a hunt. Right, and so there's kind of a typical format that that you just have in your head, and and I'm, I mean, I could probably assume that most most everybody's watched enough hunting content to kind of have that format inherently or instinctually. Yeah. Right, and there's just a few technical and or um, stylistic differences between, you know, maybe a, two different clients, two different uh, different types of hunts. Um, and different delivery or, like, different places it's going to live, whether it's TV or a web show. And we've covered a lot of that kind of stuff before, so I won't belabor it. Um, nice word, belabor. Thank you. Uh, it's one of my favorites. He just looked it up. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> the, f- the footage will show. Um, 
And then I think that past that, if you have, let's say, uh, a project like like this one we're going on, or a project like Blue Stem where you have sat down and you've really gone through and just like, hey, I have a feel. I have an inspiration. I have a more specific message I want to get across. Or if you go out on a, like a Red Arrow shoot, you know there's a particular style uh, associated with that show versus a Huntmaster show. There's a different style. And so past your basic, you know, what are we doing, where are we going, all that stuff, you can also factor in, okay, do we have a style we're going for? Do we have a feeling we're going for? Do we have a message we're going for? Um, and then past that, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, uh, all right, I have, I think this is what I used earlier, I have in my head bins of, of content areas that I need to fill, right? And so I know that I need shots of, of a bunch of different things to fill a few different categories, so where are we going, right? When, where, what, when, who, what, when, where, why, yeah, who, what, when, where, why, and whether. So, I mean, the first thing usually is the where. That's that's because that's a very visual thing. So I know that I need shots that show me where, and so those are going to be drones. Those are going to be uh, detail shots. Those are going to be things where, in my head, I'm thinking, what is unique about this place? that if I show this, so let's, let's, it, 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 it will let's tell give an, somebody let's, where we're let's at. Let's give an example. So, like, the where is uh, Greg's cabin in Illinois. So the first thing is, obviously, you're going to get a drone shot of the cabin. You're going to get drone shots of the property, of the roads, of the hills and the hollers and the, you know, the, the, the food plots. Then you're going to get shots on your, on your camera of the cabin. You're going to get shots of corn. You're going to get shots of tractors. You're going to get shots of all the things that tell that scream Midwest. Right. right? And, I, and I like to think about it, too, is so you have this bin that you need to fill. And you don't want to fill it with all the same stuff. You want to fill it with a variety of things. And you also... My phone is ringing. Uh, and you also want to... My general, I guess, take on variety is you go where, and then you get wide, medium, and tights. Yeah. Right? So you're, you're just inherently going to get a variety of content there. So you've got your wides. Those are your drones. Those are your big, sweeping landscape shots. Then you've got your mediums, which are obviously a little bit closer, probably ground level. Um, these are a lot of things that you probably would gather uh, with your hunter or with your subject. Um, and then you've got your tights, and those are your your uh, shots of the corn, shots of of the road, or shots of the dirt, or shots of flowers, or or whatever it may be that signifies where you're at. And so, I think that if you go through and think about these content bins, and think about okay, wide, mediums, and tights, and then think about different movements and things like that 
you're going to get a variety uh, of shots. Um, so you've got your wear, you've got your weather, obviously. So there's a lot of overlap between certain things. Uh, your drone shots, your landscape shots, things like that are going to show you weather too. Um, because if it's sunny outside, okay, it's sunny. If it's cloudy, you've got your cloud shots. Uh, if you have a weather event, then I make sure that you try to go and get things that show that, right? So you've got snow. Okay, now you're going to want... Now you basically have to redo all of your wear stuff you with redo the most snow of there. everything, yeah. Um, if it's raining, you need to go get all of that with the rain. Uh, and then your who... That's just getting shots of a person. And again, wide, medium, and tight. So you're going to go and get shots of them really wide in an environment. Um, again, tying them to that place. And then you're going to go get those mediums, which is your... Those are... You probably have the most medium shots of a person. Uh, and that's like you're sitting in the tree. You're following them around, walking, whatever it is. And you're just kind of getting those shots. And then you get your closes. And that's when you, you get, you know, shots of their eyes, their hands, the details on clothing, um, whatever it may be. And if it's, if it's a very personal piece, again, going back to what's the story, what are we telling here? If it's a very personal piece, you want to pick out details about that person visually uh, that tell a viewer who they are um, or put them in an environment that, allows allows you to kind of show off what makes that person unique and try to pick things about them that show you who they are yeah um so we got who what obviously is you know if you're what you're doing what you're hunting yep if you're hunting deer you're gonna get shots of deer uh you're gonna get shots of all the things that relate to hunting deer um if you're not hunting deer if you're I don't know, looking at if you're going and pulling trail cameras, maybe that's your what. Well, you need shots of trail cameras. You're going to need shots of basically visually telling the audience that we're going and, and yeah. pulling trail cameras. So who, what, when. Obviously, again, that's going to be your look. Those are your scenics. Those fall in kind of the scenics category. Um, but... Like, you want to think of, okay, if we've got an early season hunt, you're going to get shots that show, hey, everything's lush and green and hasn't started changing yet. Um, maybe it's still warm out, still hot out, whatever it is. You start to get into the fall, and you want to get those shots of changing leaves, the leaves coming off the trees, the winds, things that make a viewer feel like they're in the fall environment. You start talking about tying that into what you're doing. Well, if you're hunting uh, in the fall and you're hunting rutting elk, well, now you want to make sure you get shots of elk doing rut things, which is, again, telling you what you're doing, and it's also telling you when you're doing it and probably where you're doing it because you've got your wide shots and all that sort of thing. Well, it's so also when, you also got to remember time of day, too. So yeah. when's also your, are we hunting in the morning, we hunting in the evening, those type things, too. And yep. how do we visually show it's morning? How do we visually show it's evening? Yep. Um, one one thing I want one thing I want to point out for the what like what are you doing like the trail camera? I sometimes think people think we're getting all of those shots like in one take, 
not realizing that, like, if we're getting a, a shot of or we're putting a sequence together of Greg checking trail cameras, he's probably checking that one trail camera, and, and we're making him do it, like, five different times. So we have five different angles. Or at least twice. Yeah. Maybe not five times, well, but yeah, at least you, twice. Yeah, we usually have two cameras. But, like, we're getting a wide of him doing the entire thing, and then we're getting a tight on the camera of him doing the entire thing. And that's what's giving you all of those shots Ryer's talking about. Yeah. And sometimes you can do it in one take, but essentially you gotta you gotta communicate to your your talent, whoever it is, like, hey, I'm gonna get, set this up wide. When you get to the camera and you touch the camera, stop. And they stop. Then you reposition. You get medium. Get them opening the camera, and tell them to stop. Then you get tight. And you can do it in one take. We generally don't. We usually do it in multiple takes because we want the flow. But that's different ways of doing it. But something I wanted to say is, you know, Ryer went over, you know, the who, what, when, where, why, whether, and what the shots you know, he's generally looking for and getting. But, and that sounds like a lot of shots. And for some people it is. Ryer shoots a lot more than I do, you know. So it's one of those things to where once you start shooting and then you bring that and start the editing process, you're going to start really narrowing down what shots you need. Because then once you understand what you need and what you don't need, you're going to start really trimming the fat on the things that you're shooting and saving yourself a lot of time. I can I can honestly say I shoot a third as much now as I did when I first started because most of it never saw the light of day and it just takes up a space on a hard drive. Well, if you're anything like, a, like us, hard drive space is precious. And uh, we shoot a lot of videos, so if you're not somewhat conservative with what you're doing, you're just going to spend either a lot of time trying to delete stuff that you're not using or you're going to spend a lot of money on hard drives over the years. Um, but the other thing I wanted to talk about, something that you said, is everybody has a general idea of what a hunting show or a hunting video looks like. And they've watched enough of it to know, to understand, you get to camp, you meet the outfitter, you, you, know, you go out for the first sit, you film it, you come back to camp, you eat dinner. You know, Everybody kind of knows the general layout. Okay, it's also very easy now that you've watched a thousand hunting shows to make yours look like the things that you know and to not try and challenge that idea. That's something that we are always trying to do. There's, there's so many hunting shows, and I've seen not all of them, but I've seen a bunch of them. I've watched as much or more hunting content over my, you know, 10-year career than just, about, you know, I can compete with just about anybody on that. And I used to, that used to be the only thing I watched on television. Now I very rarely watch it because I've kind of ruined it for myself. But the thing is, we know the general flow. And most hunting shows are within the same framework. There's some of them that have things that are different or hosts that are different, things that are better. But for the most part, the layout and the feel of the shows are pretty, pretty much the same. That's why that get a bad rap from a lot of people because everybody says they're the same. Okay, well, if that's your complaint, but that's what you're going out and creating because that's what you know, well, that's how you get stuck in a rut. We always try, or I always try, and I'm sure this is, you know, the case with Clay and Ryer, is we're always trying to figure out a way to do it different. How can we tell a story that's been told 10,000 times not a lot different, but at least a little bit. What can we do in this scenario, in this hunt, in this location, in this scene to 
add some sort of value. And the way that we do that is we try and pull inspiration from other places. And we've talked about inspiration on podcasts before. Really cool example, and who knows if it'll ever see the light of day, is Ryer just cut a scene in Huntmasters that is... The inspiration came from the Queen's Gambit on Netflix. And if you haven't seen Queen's Gambit, you absolutely should. The the production is absolutely incredible. But there's a scene where they do a, a big montage of a chess tournament between two people. And um, it's a bunch of, like, tiles. You call them tiles? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Like video tiles, and there's, like, six different tiles on the screen at some point. And the shots are always changing. There's mirror shots of two people. It's super, super creative, but it checks a lot of boxes. And what were all the things that you said it checked? Like, what were all the things that that one scene did? So, basically, in this segment, I have a, an encounter and a, and a kill. And for, for storytelling and stylistic reasons, I really spent a lot of time on the encounter, uh, which, in turn sucked a lot of time out of what I quote-unquote had allotted for that scene because we're in TV world and I only, I get 2130. Um, and so I milked a lot out of that that encounter and then I knew that I also had a kill which I want to spend time with. Um, but I knew that I needed to get from the encounter to the kill and I needed it to feel like it wasn't we had this encounter in the morning and, we went and then and we went and killed in the evening because, first of all, it's not what happened. Second of all, it ruins all the suspense. And to me, that makes it feel kind of like, meh, you know, oh, we just threw some kills in here, right? We just went from a deer encounter to a kill, and it, it doesn't. There was, there's not a richness of the amount uh, of time and work and um, effort. effort that went into it. And at the same time, um, I wanted to show a bunch of different shots of the type of work that was going on, um, not really behind the scenes, I guess, but that was going from that encounter to that kill. And so... I needed a scene that was short, but also showed all of that stuff. Um, and so I kind of came up with this idea, and it it's basically the third iteration of the idea. I tried something uh, one time. It was basically just a lot of hard and fast cuts. And I thought, well, I've done that before. I've seen it done before. It's not new and exciting to me I wonder if I can do it different or better and so then I came up with a different idea of kind of sliding shots around in and out um, hard to explain on a podcast but um, I cut like half of it like that because there was a lot of keyframing and I brought Clay in and Clay said that it looked cheesy and I thought yeah I kind of agree with that and so then I landed on the idea to do a scene like this because I had seen I had seen this kind of montage uh, collage scene in the Queen's Gambit and I remember seeing it and it blew me away because I was like oh that's a really cool way to show these two people doing things simultaneously um, 
working up towards eventually playing each other in the tournament. And it kind of had the same sort of feel that I wanted for this scene. And so I watched it, kind of analyzed it, and tried to, fi- tried to break it down both stylistically and technically to figure out how I could, how I could put it in the show. Um, and, and did that. And I think that, I think that it's a, I think that it's a really cool scene and it's something that I have not seen done in really done in the hunting space. And it's certainly not something that has been done a lot if it has at all. And I think that it adds just kind of a cool different flair to a standard yeah. quote unquote work sequence. Well, that's exactly what we're talking about though. Is like, if you can't, Look, if you can't look outside of the hunting world, and and I mean, who would have thought that a production like Queen's Gambit that probably cost millions and millions of dollars could be implemented into a hunting show and work? Like, it works. I really like it. And we haven't showed it to Greg yet, and Greg might hate it, but I, highly, I think he's going to love it. Um, and it's not overly complicated to do, but you had to have the perfect storm of two people hunting and needing to accomplish exactly what that scene accomplishes. But there again, it's you've got to think outside the box. And if you're only going to edit and cut and shoot like everything you've ever seen, then you're only going to produce things like you've, the only things like you've ever seen. Like if you don't challenge, I guess, the status quo of outdoor content, then you're only going to get the standard outdoor content. And there's only a couple of ways to to get outside of that and to excel. And the, the easiest, well, I say the easiest way, it's probably actually the hardest way, is having a host that's incredible. Uh, a really good host makes a show that much better. Um, obviously, a good host needs good production, but that's nor here nor there. But... Um, it's one of those things that a good, a good host can really set things apart. I mean, think about the shows that you really like. It's usually the bone collectors of the world or the, you know, things like that that just have an incredibly great, relatable host that is natural on camera. Um, the other way to do it is great production with things like we're trying to do, things that are outside the box. Uh, the other way to do it is have a ton of money to do really, really cool adventure type things. Um, other than that, if you're the average guy, which most of you know, or girl that's listening to the podcast, you don't have any of those three things. I mean, well, you might be an incredible host. I don't know. But it's one of those things to where the only way that you're going to separate yourself is to do something different. Um, and at this point, most everything's been done. So you've either got to think, You've either got to think of a way to do something that's been done and do it better and essentially reinvent the wheel, which is incredibly hard to do, speaking from experience, or you've got to do something different. You've got to do, and it's, and it's not something that's completely radical, but it is something that separates what you're doing from what everybody else is doing. And that's, and that's all we're trying to do. I mean, that is literally our goal every day is like, okay, how do we set ourselves apart? How do we challenge ourselves? And sometimes that takes time. Sometimes it takes money. Sometimes it takes um, a little bit of effort. Uh, takes learning something new. Like what Ryer did, like I don't know how to do it. And he showed me, and it's actually really simple, but uh, it's something I would have never thought to do. 
and I saw the same scene in Queen's Gambit and honestly didn't really give it a second thought. Um, it didn't stand out to me like it did to Ryder, but we all see things differently. He likes things that I don't like. You know, Clay doesn't even watch movies, so we can't even talk about that. <laughs> but uh, it's one of those things to where it's always looking, and I haven't, and I've talked about this before, I have a notes in my phone that all I do is when I see things, I'll write what it was on, whereabout in the movie or show it was, and what it was. And then I'll, anytime we get a new project or new thing, I'm always looking at that notes to say, okay, how can I implement these ideas into what we're doing? Or how can I take this idea and make it my own? You know, because what is imitation is the best form of flattery. And, you know, we imitate things all the time. And we don't do them well enough for them to stand out sometimes. But we're always imitating something that is done somewhere else the best of our ability. Well, I think there's, I've heard quotes that, that kind of, or people talking about the fact that I mean, at this point, most people are not doing are not doing something that hasn't been done before, um, to some extent. And the uniqueness of of your art or your creations is the individual collection of all of the inspirations and experiences that you've had. And even though uh, somebody may have done that, uh, that was them doing it you're doing it so inherently you're going to do it a little bit differently and maybe you're drawing inspiration from three or four different things and working on an enti- entirely different different project or piece or whatever in an entirely different place or um, using it for a different way and even though you are drawing a lot of inspiration from that thing it's still unique and it's still um, it's still something new in its own right if that makes sense yeah. Well, uh, and I, I think to kind of, uh, I guess wrap up my thoughts on the secret sauce. Um, this is just kind of a thought that I've had while while sitting here and listening. Is I think the secret sauce is time, literally doing taking the, things, the time. Yeah. And a constant desire to do it better every time. Yeah. Never being happy with the result. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'm a self-professed, probably to a fault, perfectionist. Um, and I push myself very hard to want to do things better every time. And that's kind of been my philosophy from the get-go is like, okay, how do I do this? How do I make this video better next time how do i take this picture better next time how do i do it different how do i incorporate something different and and every project or every um, batch of pictures or whatever it is that i get tasked to do i i try to find a way to do it better than i did last time it's not about doing it better than anybody else. Well, if you do, it's doing it better than I did, and that fuels that. It it fuels the cycle of going out and doing it. It fuels the cycle of experimentation, which I think is really really important. Yeah. And I think maybe I'll break off and talk about that a little bit. And, and it fuels it fuels trying to do things differently. Well, think about if you do something one percent better every time you do it. One percent. Right. 
And as and as much as we are out there doing it, one percent is I mean that's almost unattainable. You know to do something one percent better as much as we do it every time. You know you you might do it a tenth of a percent better, but but the next time you do it, it's another tenth of a percent. The next time you do it, it's a tenth of a percent. You know you've got to do it a lot to get to where you want to get to. But like you said, you've been doing it for five years. I've been doing it for almost ten. Clay's been doing it for years. You know, and we're still. I'm still nowhere close to where I want to be. No. No, not, not even close. I look at, you know, people like Philip Bloom and, you know, Peter McKinnon and things like that. Like, I understand that some of those things are budget. I understand that some of those things are, you know, a little bit of gear sometimes. But their processes, their workflows, their editing styles, the, their eyes for things, like, that's, the, that's where I want to get to. And the only way you get an eye like that, the only way you get an editing workflow like that, the only way that you get to that level is you've got to do it all the freaking time. Every waking second of every day, if it's if this is something that you truly are passionate about, if you are just out there to make videos for your buddies and for a YouTube channel to have memories, then by all means, you do you. But if you want to make this something that you can make money at you've like Ryer said you've got to, every video's got to be better than the last one every day shooting every frame every time you hit record it's got to be better than the last time um, that's something that Greg said when we were in uh, Florida this last time we were talking is no trash clips and what does that mean that means every clip that you open in a timeline every clip that's brought into your hard drive is usable, great footage. Every bit of it. No trash clips. You have to sit there in editing and go, I love all three of these clips. I can't decide which one I like the best. That's where you've got to get to. Not like I've got 30 clips in my timeline that are complete trash. No trash clips. If you get 1% better every time, no trash clips, and put in the time, you'll get where you want to get. No. Uh, well, I think I think too to to drill down further into that. I what Greg was talking about was at the end, the final product. When you look at the the final product, when you look at that episode, you're not seeing a clip that's just meh. Yeah. You're not seeing clips that are thrown in there for necessity. Uh, well, I mean, clips are thrown in there for necessity, so I lied. But um, you're you're clips when you look at the episode what you're seeing every one of them has an impact and is visually pleasing furthers the story has a purpose within the confines and the of the edit and the story that you're telling and i think it's important to make that distinction because one of my points with experimentation um and you can ask anybody who's ever had to look at the footage that i have shot or a, a massive amount of pictures I've taken. I take a lot of videos and I take a lot of pictures. And th- there's two reasons for that. One, I'm a perfectionist. And two, I s- screw around with the camera. One yeah. more time, Ryer. <laughs> That's the, I have a reputation. I'm aware. It <laughs> precedes me and follows me. I can't escape it. Um, but I, I literally mess around with the camera. I mess around in the editing. I'm I'm constantly like just 
Huh. I wonder if I could do that. Let's try. I'll try. Let, I want to try to do this. Oh, I wonder if I could get a shot like that. Oh, I wonder if this kind of sequence would work. I wonder if, you know, if I put this shot here, what would happen? If I threw out all of these shots, what would happen? If I started here, if I ended here, if I did this, that, or the other, and the result of doing that is a, a collection of, of videos and edits where at the end of it, you know, I've, I've maybe figured out something new. I figured out a new technique. I figured out a new thing that I liked. Yeah. I've, I've done something a little new. And I think that you have to have kind of, like I said, that process as, as, you, as you go forward and, and are trying to become better is you need to go out there. There's literally no other way to do it. You have to go out there and you have to have a camera in your hand or you have to have a computer with an editing program and stuff to edit, right? So you got to take the time to do it, and that will that will allow you to start learning all of the stuff, yeah. right? And then you take that and you go, how can I make this better? And that will fuel learning how to do things better technically, but also it should it should spur your brain to start thinking of different things. And so now you start experimenting. You go, huh, I wonder if I do this, if that would be a better way to do this kind yeah. of thing. Well, and, 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 you, and you literally just try it. Yeah. And, and it could fail. Realize half of it. Yeah, realize it's, there's going to be trash. Realize there's going to be some stuff that's like, yeah, that was stupid. But don't be afraid to go and try it. Well, I, I got two things I want to add. One is Caleb and I give Ryer a lot of crap for shooting a lot. But there's never been a time I've edited something Ryer shot where I didn't have everything I needed and or had multiple ways of doing something that I needed to do. Like editing a, sequ- editing a certain scene, I probably had three or four different ways I could have done it. Um, but I also, like, I want to, we understand that we're trying to tell you that there's no, like, secret thing that we're hiding from you. But we also do understand that we get to go places that most people don't get to go. We have clients that make th- things a lot easier on us. And we also do understand that, like, if you have a shot, like, you can't get high-speed kill shots if you don't have a camera that shoots high speed. So we understand that stuff. But what we're trying to tell you is, like, you don't need all of the fancy stuff to make something that is very, very entertaining. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the effort. It all comes down to the effort, you know. I saw uh, a post that Casey Shootman made today, and it's like uh, the for the all the people out there that say it must be nice. It's like they don't see all the time, effort, blood, sweat, and tears, and screw ups, and you know, crappy edits, and you know, torched cameras, and fried processors, and all the things that went into getting to that place. Nobody just steps into you know any thing much less and i'm not and i'm trying not to put us on a pedestal because we're not we're not special but nobody steps up and is you know nobody picks up a guitar for the first time and is Jimi hendrix nobody you know you know goes on one deer hunt in iowa and becomes lee and tiffany like there's a ton of time effort and money that went into getting to those places that though you know those people earned what they got you know, regardless of your opinion, you know, if you're not, 
if you're not if you want to sleep in on Saturdays, if you don't want to, you know, run up that hill to get the extra shot, if you don't want to spend your two off days editing, if you don't want to, then then that's fine. But don't don't wonder why your stuff's not better. You know, it's for two and a half years, three years, whatever it was. If I had a free second, man, I was shooting and editing. That's what I was doing. But I loved it. I enjoyed it. And if you don't enjoy it, then you need to look at doing something else. Because, you know, I don't see myself wanting to do anything else. Because I enjoyed what I do now. I've, I've gotten to where I've graduated from wanting to burn the road down for 158 days a year to where now I'm like, I'm more interested in certain projects and certain stories. Um, that's, that's more where I want to be on a larger scale on productions and things like that. Now, are we, are we there yet as a company? We're really close. Um, I feel like we're getting there, but I also understand what it takes to pay the bills too. But it's one of those things to where you've got to, you've, you just got to keep grinding and never be happy with it. Because I can honestly say there's never been an edit I put out. I was like, you know what? That's really good. You know, I'm happy with that. I never have enough time. I never have enough budget. I never have enough, you know, creative control over something to where it's just perfect. And I don't think I ever will. In the history of ever, I don't think I ever will. Um, I've, I've gotten ideas done that I wanted to get done, and I've followed, you know, followed my pre-production, and we've done some things that we're very proud of. We're very proud of Blue Stem. We're very proud of what we got done with Huntmasters. I'm very proud of the things I've done with Black Rifle. I'm very proud of the clients that we have. Are they perfect? Absolutely not. Could they be better? Absolutely. Um, but it all comes down to time, effort, money, and you know, willingness to do it. I think the an interesting parallel, two interesting parallels I've drawn. Um, the first, I think, I think that you can relate being good at this to being a good hunter in a lot of ways because especially as a person who is kind of starting their journey there and I'm sure everybody who started hunting as kids um, or wherever will relate to this when you first started hunting you probably didn't have a like a good idea of of what to do how to do it what you needed where you're going wrong like there's there is so much about about hunting and being successful that it's almost overwhelming and and even if you started as a kid like think about hunting as whenever you started and hunting now and how much better and and how much uh more effective or efficient you it's are. It's the nuance. It's the and, little things. And what did it take to get there? You going out and hunting, you taking the time to improve your skill sets in um, all the different areas of hunting. And yeah. failing. Right? failing. And failing and figuring out why Why did I why didn't this work? Why, why is my why, how come I can't group my shots? How come uh, I missed that buck? How come I spooked that 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 elk. How come they're not doing this? How come I can't find them? How come this, that, and the other? And then when you succeed, you go, okay, what happened? What led to that that allowed me to do this? And 
over time, years and years and years and years and years and years and years of doing this, you become very good at doing that thing. And I think anybody would argue that anybody can be a good hunter. Anybody could be a, a good bow hunter. Anybody could be excellent at that. It just takes time and dedication persistence to be better yeah. to do it. And it comes easy to some people and it's a lot harder for others. Right. And I think another parallel past that is I like to I you go to restaurants, right? And they all have this secret sauce. Mm-hmm. How many of those secret sauces are like just a variation of Thousand Island? Yeah. Right? The, there is not really, the restaurants don't have like this, a lot of them don't have a quote-unquote secret sauce. It's all the same, basically the same sauce. It's just a fancy Thousand Island. I don't know, man. There's some, some really good sauces. I know there's some really good there's sauces. There's some barbecue sauces I've eaten that were not uh, like well, you the guys, others. But, <laughs> but can we... I understand the analogy. Can, can, we ex, can we all agree that there is a lot of quote-unquote secret sauces that are like a variation of Thousand Island? Yeah. And I think it's the same in life. The secret sauce is not a lot of times some some hidden talent that somebody possesses that other people don't or a set of whatever it's that people choosing to do something and doing it and doing it hard for a long time and grinding and trying to be better at that thing yeah hard work and time will will make you good at anything. Yep. You know, it's that 10,000 hours. It's the hard work beats talent when talent is hardly working. Mm-hmm. And that's all it is. And that's why that's what, that's what why I feel like there there's not a secret sauce. And that's why I feel like you said we're not putting ourselves on a pedestal because we look, I, I think all uh, we can, I can speak for me and I'm sure you guys will agree. I don't feel like given, given the time and the opportunity and the the um, the hard work. I don't think there's anybody that couldn't literally, in however much time, be producing the same quality of work that I'm doing, mm-hmm. or that you're doing, well, or that Clay I, is I doing. Think, well, yeah. we're doing it, and we all came from not having any idea right. what we were doing. Well, so. I think I think that's I think that's partially true, because I think that there's also people out there that just do not have a creative eye or a creative bug in their body like they wouldn't be able to see and visualize things like I talked to Nicole about this and hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this because she'll Mm. get on to me for this but so I can visualize an edit or a show or a shoot or a shot or a set of shots pretty well like I have an idea in my head I want to do this sunrise scene or this that and the other like I can visualize that I can see how it lays in a timeline like all that I can edit in my head as I'm shooting. That comes naturally to me. My wife will send me a screenshot or something of some clothes that she wants to buy and ask me what I think. I cannot visualize what that is going to like look like on her to whether I like it or not. Right, but do you think that the reason is because you that don't have you practice? Can't the reason you can visualize an edit is because you've spent 10 years looking at edits. Yeah, the reason that she right. might be able to look at clothes yeah, you're and visually, right. uh, visualize it on herself is because well, she's looked at herself in the mirror for her whole but, life. But either and that. she can see that in well, her head. Well, maybe she can. But even like when she'll like 
buy a new shirt or new pants or something. Like, if she'll just... There's turkeys in that field. Oh. Sorry. That's a big field, too. Sorry. If they... Like, she'll buy a new pair of pants and just have a t-shirt on with them, and it's like a dress-up pant. And I'm like, I got to see the whole ensemble put together. I can't visualize whether I like them or not. Like, I can't... I don't know. My brain doesn't work like that. But if you spent... 10 years having to pick yeah, out outfits yeah. for, for her, Maybe. I bet I bet you would be able to. But you don't think, and this is me plays devil's advocate, you don't think there's people out there that just no matter how much time they're like, yeah, I just don't, I don't, I don't get the, the, the creativity side of this. Or the, maybe, I know everybody has creativity, but like, in certain areas, like my mom is like a great interior designer. She's like got creativity there. Don't think she could edit. Well, that's my. I, that, I, that's, I, I would equate that to your dad and my dad because I would think you give your dad or my dad a blueprint to something and they could change it multiple ways to make it way more creative and build it. And you give them the tools and the wood and they could build just about anything you want, but you stick them in front of a computer or tell them to set up a photo or something to take it and they stab a, a fork in their eye trying to get it done. Yeah. Well, and and but even if you put them in that situation for five or ten years, could they? I think they could be an editor, but could they be a Jimi Hendrix? I think that's something that... Well, I, yeah, you know, I mean, clearly there are people who have an aptitude, who have a God-given ability. Something about them is different inherently within their brain. Within It's generally left-handed people, if I'm going to be honest. But go ahead, continue. Oh, I'm teaching myself to be left-handed. What does that say? <laughs> are you really? Well, you know, for bows and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, like I think I think we can all accept like Ryer Porter is not going to go win the hundred meter dash at the yeah. Olympics because biologically I physically cannot. Yeah. You know, and of course with things that are physical in nature, hundred percent. Like you can work very hard at something and still not be world class because well, a lot of that is genetics. We but ha- we have I, a theory. I, we have a theory though on creativity. Who does? We just talked about it a minute ago. Why there's like Rogan and Post Malone and people like that are. Oh, hold on like, though. Hold on. All right, go ahead. Sorry. So I I do think, I do think that there is an element of creativity and things where, like, there are people that will be great and that you're you won't you can't and won't think like them. Yeah. And. You know, there's only going to be so many Albert Einsteins. There's only going to be so many Jimi Hendrixes. Um, there's only going to be somebody who revolutionizes or or makes something completely new out of the ordinary every so often. Um, but I think that with this, you can spend, and, and with most things, whether they be a guitar playing or whether they be... Uh, interior design or whether they be this side or the other if you spent this is my belief if you spend the time doing and practicing that thing you can become very good at it yeah no and i agree I, and i think that if you spent if you spent the time playing and practicing the guitar you could become very very good at it and eventually i think your brain will rewire to be creative in its own right in your own way mm-hmm. now when Jimi Hendrix picked up a guitar, did he have some sort of God-given ability and this talent that just came out of nowhere? And so for him, it was, you know, as Next, as easy other, as other talking. Worldly, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, some people it just comes easy to them. Yeah, well, that's. But I, I, if I, it doesn't come easy to you, yeah. I don't think that that means that you can't be not just good at it, great at it. Yeah. You just have to work, and you have to spend the time doing it. It may take you five, ten, fifteen times more yeah. effort than than Jimmy just to like, become yeah. three quarters as great. Yeah. But three quarters of as great. Three quarters as good as Jimi Hendrix is really good. Is leaps and bounds above the average person at guitar, and so you 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 take that into the photography, the videography, the editing realm, and you can be a very good shooter, yeah. editor, producer. You just got to take the time to do it. So here's the we're gonna close on this because we're already over an hour. So we have a theory that. We we will never we'll already we'll always be three quarter Jimi Hendrixes I think because of one reason is like the Joe Rogans of the world the Post Malones of the world the I don't know you name some like extremely successful creative person our theory for why they got there is one thing and one thing only drugs they can they can enter an alternate universe that we as mere mortals. That aren't on mushrooms or DMT or weed can't enter, and I think that's why these creative people can be as funny and as creative and have the songs and the the movies and the things that these guys do because they're operating at a different level than the average person. You know, some of the stories that I've heard of, you know, things that Rogan has seen on DMT and done things like that, like. I'm just never. I'm never going to be a person that would do that. Um, I'm just. It's not that I. You know. I, I'm just. I, I'm a really a big control freak, and I would never put anything in my body that would change who I am. So I know I'm kind of. I'm peaked out. Like this is where I'm going to be. But that's kind of our theory. We've talked about it a couple times. Like how can these people be that much more creative than the most creative person we know? And it's. That's the only thing that we can put our finger on. Now you want to get if you want to get crazy with it do you think that it is solely the fact that they take these drugs that allows them to be creative i think or, they're already creative or but it just makes them more is creative. their brain wired in a way that first of all allows them to be like you know what sure i will do that you know <sighs> like like, their brain is wired in well, such a way that be, they don't have the inhibitions that you do. Well, but, but it could be because they've done, like you said, they've done drugs long enough to where it has rewired their brain. Is it the chicken or the egg, though? That's that's the fun part. Also, there are people who do drugs who have none of those talents. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. I think you already have to be creative and, you know, extremely creative or smart in order for something like that to unlock something. I don't think you could just take your average you know, dummy and give him DMT and him come up with a cure to cancer. Like, I just don't think that's how it works. No, but I wonder because when you look at people's brains, some people are pre-wired to be certain ways. And a lot of times people who are very creative, and this is why I think that you, you see, I guess, a large political difference between people who are in the very creative abstract arts and, and people who aren't. Um, is that people who who have those thought processes that are very creative don't have kind of the the inhibitions or whatever or the desire to 
have the routine or to follow the rules or to have the structure that, you know, maybe disincentivizes them from taking drugs or from doing these things that other people would literally never think of because they would not venture outside of those boxes just because that's how their brain is wired, you know? Yeah. It's the it's the typical oh yeah, you know, he's real straight edge. He he, he kinda stays inside his box and yeah, that hippie guy over there is just all over the place, man. <laughs> he's whacked out and dude's and, nuts. And people accept that yeah. that's just two different ways that those people are wired. Yeah. And maybe him being wired that way allows him to take the drugs and also, he's more creative because he's, his brain just doesn't work in, in, in this box-structured way. Yeah. And those two things combined, you get this crazy piece of, of work or this crazy artistry or, or these crazy thought processes that, that, you know, your typical brain just doesn't come up with. Yeah. Huh? Solid podcast, guys. Clay, you got anything else? Uh, I got to call Patrick. Oh, okay. All right, guys. Peace.